Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Hot Takes from the Berg Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Jason Mischner, joined alongside Ian Hatcher. Ian, we're already, what, three months into the NBA season? And, wow, we're pretty much already at the All-Star break and pretty much halfway through the NBA season. Before we really dive into that, how are you doing today? Doing absolutely fantastic. I love the opportunity to get to sit down and talk some NBA with you. I love every opportunity we get to come and come on this podcast. And I think you hit it right on the head to, to open us up. This is a crucial point in the season right here. To me, I always feel like, uh, you know, the, the all-star weekend or the festivities, however you want to call it, that little break, that's definitely the, that's definitely how the season is split in my mind, at least. You can, you could go by the 41st game if you wanted to go halfway through the season, however you want to do it. To me, it is that all-star break. It's the first time players get a chance if you're not on an all-star team or not participating in the festivities, step away, go back to your family, kind of, I'd say, like, re-energize yourself. And if you're not, you know, you're basketball all the time and you're, you're locked in with those festivities over the weekend, hoping to get, you, get yourself a win in maybe the skills competition, whatever it may be. For some of those guys competing, the, the cash rewards are pretty nice. You know, some of these rookies, young players, things like that. And then to some of these other players, I mean, the all-star game, while it is – some people have mire it and say that it's not anything important to me. I think it's a nice kind of a resume booster for guys, you know, that are searching for, you know, all NBA teams or, or, you know, even potentially the hall of fame at the end of their careers. So I definitely think it's all important. Everybody's looking at this point of the season in different kinds of ways, but one of the things you can't escape around this time of year, Jason is trade rumors. And that's why for the first little segment of this podcast i want to jump in and play a game with you we know that like i said this time of year the trade deadline is looming teams that are you know out out hot to start the year they're looking to maybe capitalize on some sellers and like i said the bad teams in the league they're looking to maybe get a bad contract off their books or you know part ways with the player they know they won't resign things like that and so because of all the rumors especially this year i want to play a game with you it's called trade or bait. I'm just going to give you a player, and I want your your gut reaction. Not now. You don't have to think too hard or do too much. I'd like to hear your you know reasoning behind it, but just your instant gut reaction as to whether that player remains on the team they're with, or if they're just bait, or or, or if the team is using them as just bait. Kind of just throwing that name out there to see what see what teams are willing to offer around the league, or if there's a legit chance they get moved. So I think first of all to start this game. To no one's surprise, Ben Simmons. I know everyone has talked about Ben Simmons getting traded since the the whole situation happened in the second round against the Hawks, and I don't know what Daryl Morey is thinking. I He's not – unless James Harden is truly on the board, which I'm still not 100% sure he is, you, you, don't, you can't just force another pick out of a team – your Embiid is in the in his prime. He's a big man with recent or in with past lower body injuries, which is crucial for a big man because it's taken down some of the greats like Yao Ming and a guy like Greg Hoden, whose career could never take off because of that. And with that being there, you 
you might only have a few years left of a top tier Embiid. So if you're just going to stick with Simmons, it clearly doesn't work. I'd rather just trade him away, get some assets, get another player who's going to play and space the floor out and try and win now with Embiid instead of waiting that extra year and risking his prime. Yeah, it it, it for me in this situation, I definitely I, I do have to agree with you because it's one of those things where, you know, a team's championship windows only stay open so long. And you, it's a sad kind of a story around the league. We hear, we think back on a lot of teams that we remember very fondly and think highly of them and wonder, man, it, isn't it crazy the fall from grace? I, I think about my own Oklahoma City Thunder. They, we When we lost in that 2012 finals, you would have thought that, man, they'd have been there five more times. There's nothing to worry about. They never got there again, never got to the finals again. And I think that just goes to show you that no matter what we may think about a team or how many times they may get to the championships, nothing is guaranteed. And if you have a legit chance of being in that championship window, you have to make the most of it. And I understand I've always, I've from the beginning pretty much been against the trading him. I, I said, you know, let him, let him still just have another season. I mean, I don't know. It just is. There's so many things going on with this one in particular, but to me, I, I'm with you now at this point. It's it's hard. I mean, the team is still playing good. They're still playing really hard. There's it, The Sixers are still a good team, even without Ben Simmons. But the fact you have a player that is a former number one overall pick is so much, I can understand not really wanting to part with him. But at a certain point, you're just going to have to come to terms with the fact that you and him combined, based on the way he played and the way that you handled him, have decreased his trade value and you're not just simply going to be able to pound the table in a trade negotiation and demand a team into giving you another good young player or like you mentioned another draft pick I just don't think you're going to be able to do it so I'm interested I don't think he's ever been bait he's obviously on the trade market but will it happen is all going to come down to like you mentioned Daryl Morey and whether he sees an offer that he gets as good enough or I would argue that it could come down to a team which I don't know who it would really be just kind of being fed up with where they're at I think about a team maybe like the Houston Rockets um even though I know I'm a Thunder fan I've been kind of hesitant to rule out the Thunder they have moved their way in my history um in into multiple trades that no one knew was coming were big shockers i remember when we won the paul george sweepstakes everyone's mind was blown um but i do think with just the amount of young pieces and, and picks that we have if it comes down to it we could probably make a pretty attractive offer not i mean it's gonna not gonna help you now it ain't gonna help you get to a championship but it's gonna be an offer to help you kind of reset and who knows what Embiid's timeline looks like you know, long-term after you mentioned it, the lower body issues. So I definitely think this is, you know, he's obviously on the trade market, but in this situation, it's more of, can you find an offer? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I still think that Pacers offer that was rejected over the offseason. I think it was Malcolm Brogdon, uh, something else and a first round pick. I think that would have been perfect, but Daryl Moore is just very greedy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think that they've had, I mean, I think back to the James Harden offer. It's hard to think about not taking that now. Um, either way, the next name I have for you, Bradley Beal. If this was at the beginning of the season, I would say bait. But at this point, 
they have been skidding. Uh, they've lost three out of the last seven. They barely got a win last night over Philly. Uh, they had lost six, their last six before that. They're out of the playing tournament right now behind Atlanta, who just got a big win a night or two ago to get them into the 10th seed. It's it's weird because I don't think it's I don't think they're going to trade him unless Bradley Beal specifically goes to them and says, I want to trade. Yeah. I I, I definitely can agree with you on that one. Um because it has felt weird for a while now. You know, Bradley Beal has has been far too good to continue, you know, giving this franchise years. And I'm not anyone to tell a player where they should play or how they should spend their, you know, peak of their career or anything like that. So, I mean, if he wants to be in Washington, that's absolutely fine. Stay in Washington. You have all the power to do that. But at the same time, I don't know if this is a narrative being drawn up by outside sources or what's going on, but I am starting to near the point. I would say right now, only because, as you mentioned, everything it see- that we seem to hear is always that Bradley Beal wants to stay. And that, to me, is, I'm not going to say it's weird, like I said. If, however you want your career to pan out, you should have the power to allow it to pan out like that. And if he wants to be a lifer for Washington, I respect that. I, I really do respect that. And if he wants to wait on them to turn into a winner, that's absolutely fine. Admirable. Very admirable. And I respect that. But at the same time, where, where are these rumors coming from, like I mentioned? Is this, is this, like I said, being drawn up by outside narrative people that want to see him play for a competitive team? Or is this just really not what he wants? Because like you said, I totally believe that the ball is in his court. He has nothing in a similar kind of position to uh, Portland. He has nothing left to give that franchise. Nothing left. I believe that if he went to them and said, listen, I don't think there's much left I can do here. I'd like to kind of, you know, pursue an opportunity with another team and I kind of want to seek a trade. They'd give it to him, or at least they would work for something. Obviously, when a player comes to you and wants to be traded, you have to look out for your franchise first, and you have to get an offer that you deem valuable. But when it comes to certain cases like a guy like Bradley Beal, you work together with the team, with another team, to help get him somewhere that he's comfortable going and comfortable with the situation he's going to be in and also so that you can be comfortable with what you're getting in return and in this case just for the simple fact that we have not ever seen a disgruntled Beal I really don't feel like we have I'm sure he doesn't like the state of where that team is but maybe he really does enjoy being the guy I don't know but like I said until I see something from him or directly from his mouth that you know, would make me question whether he really wants to be there. Like if he had a press conference like Zion had talking up New York or some other city or some other place to play, I would be worried. <laughs> I would seriously be like, well, maybe if we can't turn ourselves into a winner, Bradley Beal is going to want out. But um, I don't think that's the case right now. And I would say this is bait right now. But I do think if the Wizards got blown away by a trade offer for Bradley Beal, I don't think they turn it down, even if it's they don't have Beal's blessing. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, like I said, it's bait, but unless we see something from Beal himself, then he's going to be in Washington for a while. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now, the, the next um, 
players uh, is a little bit of a weird one. I'm giving you two players, and this is more because of the team than anything, but both of these guys have had their name out there on the trade market with the rumors and everything like that. So I wanted to throw both of them at you. You can handle them however you want, but they're both Pacers. DeMontis Sabonis or Miles Turner? Okay, first I'm going to start with Miles Turner. I would love to see him go to Dallas. I I would – the spacing would be a, a little weird. Um, you'd most likely have to move Kristaps back to the four and have him space the floor more. But I'm just saying I would absolutely love that. I'm not sure how they would get the money to work. I think they would have to trade away Tim Hardaway in that in that contract to make it work. But just as like a front court of Kristaps and Miles Turner, just I love that. Um, you'd also maybe have to throw in Jalen Brunson, which wouldn't be great, but I don't know. Um, but I, it's weird because. They have to pick one of them. I don't think they trade both of them. And it's, I think it's really, if it does come up before the trade deadline, which offer is better? Because, say, for instance, like you get Jalen Brunson and, and Tim Hardaway from the Mavericks for Miles Turner, some picks and stuff. I would take that in a heartbeat because. I really like Jalen Brunson, and I, I know they have Malcolm Brogdon and, and Jeremy Lamb. Brogdon's not young. He he came into the draft at 24, I believe, and he's yeah. already been in the league, what, five years? He's already 29. He's already into his prime. And granted, he's not a terrible player, but he's, he's not getting younger. Uh, Karis LeVert has been really injury prone. Um, so if you can get a really young guy like Jalen Brunson to come be your point guard, that would be really good. And you get, and then, I mean, Tim Hardaway is Tim Hardaway. I mean, he's a a bucket off the bench. That isn't the most efficient, but he's going to, you know what you're going to get out of him. Yeah. And then maybe like Dwight Powell and and a pick or two, I, I would take that. That's just my opinion. And I I don't see them trading Sabonis. I, I see Sabonis as the face of, of Indiana. Um, that's just me, though. Uh, I think if anything were to pop up, it would be Miles Turner first. Yeah. Uh, I have to – I don't know. I kind of go back and forth on this one. I, to me, I think this is all has to really kind of fall in with where the the Pacers brain trust is kind of thinking with this situation, because to me, if anything were to happen with Sabonis, that would immediately in a way signal to me that everyone on that roster is available. Cause if you give away your best player who to me is Sabonis now, granted, we don't know what you would potentially get back, but what I'm kind of feeling is a, a deal for Sabonis is probably a young players and picks kind of a deal. I don't think it's just so hard to swap big name players for big name players. And there's so few of them. And what big name player is wants to take the spot of Sabonis in Indiana. I, I think that list is very short, if not non-existent, but if, like I said, so if they do that, I think it's the signals, you know, Brogdon's probably gone. As you mentioned, his timeline wouldn't really fit with young players, draft picks, 
And then you look at Miles Turner, neither does he. He's probably gone. Karis LeVert is injury prone. You, you probably, you know, if you're getting young players, you're probably getting guards or wings or something like that. And so all of a sudden you have uh, just a really weird dynamic if you are holding on to these players like Brogdon, LeVert, um, and, and, you know, the list goes on, Jeremy Lamb. So to me, I think that would signal a total rebuild. But Miles Turner is the really interesting one. I, I'm actually exactly with you. I'd say more so bait for Sabonis. I think that, you know, what we heard earlier in the year, there was, I think they were testing the waters. You know, when any time a team is not good, you start to look around and say, well, hey, well, hey, we have Sabonis. What could we maybe get turned Sabonis into? And we know that the Pacers don't mind trading away their star players if it gets to that point and just restock and rebuild. And they got themselves to a respectable position the last time. But with Turner, he's different because he's universally a fit that would intrigue multiple teams around the league. Uh, you mentioned Dallas. I mean, I think there's a plenty of teams where that fit would be interesting. For one, I think you think about a lot of contenders out there. I don't think there's a contender that hates the idea of a rim-protecting three-point shooting big man. That's definitely always on their radar of potential what places to upgrade is usually both of those areas, the three-point shooting and protecting the rim. Getting a guy that can do both would obviously help the Dallas Mavericks of the world, would obviously help a team like the Warriors, the Clippers, the Lakers, anybody that you could throw out there, like I mentioned, that could be considered a contender can use a guy like that. But then I think about other teams as well. I don't know what teams would be looking to kind of make an upgrade like that. But I think Washington still has a little bit of a hole in their front court. I think Boston has answered some questions, but Miles Turner has, I know for you at least, Jason, you've always kind of thought about the what ifs of Miles Turner, Miles Turner in Boston. He's feels like he's been available for so long and just other teams like that. And so for all those reasons, I do think that there's going to be more of a market for Miles Turner. I'd even throw out a dark horse kind of a place that I would really be interested in seeing him go is in Charlotte. I don't know. I feel like he's not the kind of a rim running big man that I think would really succeed well with LaMelo Ball. But I think LaMelo Ball is the level of passer that you could run a really, really effective, you know, kind of four out one in offense around him. And if you want to put Miles Turner in as the guy in the middle, go ahead. I mean, he could still he could still do work. He's still a center. I don't love him down there in the post with his post moves and one-on-one and -on -one kind of moves. But he could still, I mean, he's probably get net you 50% from down there, which isn't terrible. But then I have this vision of LaMelo Ball slicing up defenses and somebody else collapses and helps. And then the, the kickout man is Miles Turner in the corner. That's really scary. And I think that could really help to kind of maximize some of the things that he does best. And so just some interesting fits like that, that I think, you know, there's more room for a Miles Turner to be on the move. You can, you can insert his usage into a team without that much problem. I mean, the way that uh, Indiana runs their offense, Sabonis pretty much touches the ball every single play. There's not a whole lot of teams out there that are looking for a player to come in and kind of change up your whole offense or have to change their, not that you have to change their, your whole offense, but just to get the most out of a player like Sabonis, you kind of do. So I, I'm right there with you, I think pretty much bait for Sabonis, but, you know, like you mentioned as well, or like we said, even in previous, uh, you know, trader baits, it depends on an offer. If you get blown away and you simply can't refuse, yeah, no doubt they're going to take that offer. But Miles Turner, I definitely think they're going to be the team putting out some more calls saying, hey, you still thinking maybe you want to offer us this or is this still on the table? You know, just because they're 
they seem to be at that place where they're kind of ready to, I don't want to say blow it up and try it again, but at least retool is probably a better, better way to word it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you brought up Boston. I think that's off the table. I think that was a few years ago um, when we had draft picks. Now we don't have draft picks. So <laughs> there goes all my hopes and dreams of having an actual center. Hey, I think Robert Williams is, is a kind of a center it, it, to center that trade around. I mean, he's a young no. player. I, obviously, he would take more than just Robert Williams. But if you're talking about a, a pacer scene that may be looking to retool, it might fit in, in the context with a little bit else. But it all depends on how how deep both teams are willing to go. I know you would hate that, though. So I wouldn't yes. wish that on your, on your Celtics. The next player I have for you. CJ McCollum. Hmm. Yeah, I thought this was going to be a toughie. The whole CJ to Philly thing was a big thing. Um, but I mean, that all comes down to Daryl Morey. And if I'm being honest, that's the only place I really like CJ. Um, because I don't think CJ can run his own team. I don't even know if he can really fit into that third man role. Um, I think he'd be the second man in Philly, and I think Tobias would step back to that third role. But, I mean, if looking around the league, most teams don't need guard play. Yeah. At least the teams that are contending. I mean, you look at the top six in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, Warriors, the group. Grizzlies, the Jazz. I mean, the Jazz. I mean, you could get Mike Conley and for CJ McCollum, but I'd rather have Conley on that team. Dallas, Denver. I mean, once you get Jamal Murray back in the Nuggets, you're chilling there. And then it, it, out east, Chicago, Miami, Philly. Philly is the only team that is lacking guard play because then you have the Bucks, the Cavs, and the Nets. The, the top six in both conferences are fine, except for Philly. That is the only spot he would work. Because all the other teams, except for maybe like the Knicks, who like have a chance to make the playoffs, are fine. Yeah, I'm really with you on this one. For me, it's kind of the reason as to why I don't think that it was – there was – ever a point in the past couple of years that the Portland Trailblazers were firmly adamant about, no, we are not going to trade CJ McCollum. I think he's probably been on the table this whole time. And I'll be honest, and you hit it on the head this whole time. I don't think that there's been a ton of openings that could help make them better as well. That would fit for sending McCollum somewhere and, you know, adding a piece that does help your team. And, and they've tried and tried to build around it. And I just, I really don't think it's, it's going to be possible. And this is a case where I think the skill sets of these two players are just far too similar, far too similar. When you have a backcourt built around two scorers that don't do a whole lot of playmaking that don't do a, a lot of, you know, the creating for others and, and that kind of an aspect that don't defend. I mean, you're, it's just too much of the same thing, too much of the same thing. And at a certain point you need guys that can, help alleviate the issues or the shortcomings of others. And I think that's such an important aspect to, you know, cultivating a, a good team. And that's something that the trailblazers have not been able to get because of 
the redundancy of the skill sets of their backcourt. And I just, like I said, for that reason, I think he's probably been on, on the board for the whole time. But like you said, there's just not a lot of places to send him. And I don't think it's about, I know that they have a respect for CJ McCollum, but in this situation, when you have a player like Lillard and you have a team that we've looked every year and it feels like, man, just a piece for this trailblazers team. And they could really be contenders. And I don't think that they've had a mutual trade where they could get, because if you're going to trade McCollum, that's your one chance of really solidifying that, whatever, you know, that other piece is. If you think you can find it, it better be McCollum that can get it for you because that's the only one you can really, you can only really give up. You're not going to give up Nurkic. I mean, he's been a, a revelation for you guys. Finally, something that wasn't that same kind of a skill set or role. And around the league, everyone's pretty set. And even if they aren't, it's likely not going to field a, a three and D player that's, you know, really good enough to the point that it puts you over the edge as well. And even if it does, are they going to be willing to part with that for CJ McCollum? As we mentioned, with guards being kind of a dime a dozen, I mean, it just feels like that's the kind of the point that we're getting at. And I like I said, it's going to depend on whether the Blazers can get something that they deem worthy, I'll say. And maybe they do get and maybe it's not a contender, but maybe it's a nice little offer you can get from a team that's, you know, not doing so hot that you could try and steal something away from. I don't know who that would be. But, I mean, you always maybe try your chances. Maybe someone gets a little desperate thinking they can make a run. You mentioned the Knicks. I think that is kind of a good possibility would be, a, a you know, a potential solution. Um, I, I don't know. I don't see, you know, the Houston Rockets or the Spurs or the teams like that really getting too antsy because I think they all kind of came into this season other than the Knicks with the idea that, hey, you know, we probably are headed back to the lottery. So, it doesn't bode too well, but I don't think that this is bait. I do think that they find something that they like, McCollum will be gone. I don't know if it'll happen in the next week, though. I don't think it will happen before the trade deadline, but definitely with the whole Dame injury, um, I think this is probably the offseason to either trade him or Dame. I agree with you there, and I have one last name that I want to touch on. Well, this one Before be you – Jackson- before you hop into that, uh, this is Justin from Woj. Uh, the Clippers traded Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson in a future second-round pick to the Trailblazers for Norman Powell and Rocco. Wow. Talk about some timing. Big trade there for the Clippers, getting some more, more scoring off the bench for when Paul George comes back and, and a nice two-way player in, in Robert Covington. Not what he was uh, back in his heyday of, of Minnesota and Houston, but not a terrible player. Did you go over that trade one more time? Uh, Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and Keon Johnson are going to the Blazers, and then Norman Powell and Rocco to the Clippers. Wow. I, yeah, I definitely think that, you know, going back to what we just talked about, that C.J. McCollum is – definitely probably on the table now. I mean, if that doesn't signal the trailblazers intentions, then I, I don't know what could more. Yeah, no. Um, I definitely do like this trade for the Clippers. though. again, Norman Powell and, and Rocco. Oh no, absolutely. I think those are, first of all, those are two incredible glue guys, glue guys, excuse me, 
And it was a part of the reason why, like I mentioned, every year we look at the Trailblazers, you think, man, this team's pretty good. How are they, how are they not doing so hot? But that's a big get for this Clippers team. Now, we've, I've kind of heard the rumblings about, you know, the potential that Kawhi may be coming back a little bit sooner. I'm interested to see what maybe might happen on that front. But once you get both, it has to be both. And you have to be in a good position based on your regular season. But if you go into the postseason with a Paul George and a Kawhi who's now, I don't want to say 100%, but if the rehab is going as well as everyone's talking about it, there's a potential that he could almost feel rested going into the postseason. I mean, I have heard nothing but good things about his recovery. And I'm not saying that in a good way. If anything, that should terrify the rest of the league, thinking about the Clippers might be the sleeping giant during this uh, part of the season. But they definitely got better with that trade. Uh, we can go into the last uh, player you had now. This one is just really, really quick. Um, Buddy Heald. He found himself in the trade rumors all the dating back to last year. It seemed as though he was going to be a, a Los Angeles Laker for, for a quick second. Ended up being Russell Westbrook. I'm almost wondering more – to take this and I'll make it a little more specific. Do the Lakers trade for Buddy Heald? Do they have buyer's remorse so bad <laughs> that they walk themselves all the way back and work something around for Buddy Heald? I don't think the Lakers do, and the, the whole Kings organization is a really bad spot. Um, they still have Bagley. They don't know what we're do they're doing with him. Is he getting traded? Is he not? Of course, Buddy Heald, what are you going to do with – you have so many guys in your backcourt that you need to give playing time. Buddy Heald's one of them. Tyrese Halliburton, Darren Fox, Davion Mitchell – like, it's cluttered with guys that deserve starting minutes, except for maybe Davion because he hasn't really worked his way up to that yet. But give him another year and he'll deserve starting minutes. I don't think he'll goes now, but offseason, I think it's sure in this season. Yeah. I think it's, it's going to be a package of him and Marvin Bagley somewhere. I like that. I like that. It would definitely do them a lot of good in kind of clearing house with um, like you mentioned, I, I put Buddy Heald in here. Like I could have done Marvin Bagley, but I felt when you look at that team, it is just too many guards and, and it, they almost don't even have any hope of being able to get them all together because I mean, it, they're, they're good and they do have different skill sets, which is the nice part about it. Like you, you know, you can kind of work around that in this instance, but it's almost the fact that you can't have four guys under six foot five on the floor at the same time if they're not, you know, built the way they are. Because all every one of those guys, aside from probably Buddy Heald, can play the point guard position and honestly came into the league prepared to play that position more than likely. So I, I think it's definitely a little bit too much in the backcourt and buddy healed is definitely the odd man out they you know i think they like i said they signaled their intentions about how they feel about him in the past so i definitely think he's gone now i like to hit on the 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 lakers just because to poke a little fun at them and and whatnot but i do think that like you mentioned buddy Heald will be on the move um i do i have a sneaking suspicion that something might happen before the trade deadline i no, i'm not getting that from anywhere but i just feel like if there's any of these that is the most likely to happen I would say Buddy Heald. We, we will see. I It is curious. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with the just the whole Kings team in general because they need to do something. Yeah. Um, But hopping out of uh, the, the whole game show, 
let's hop into some teams. Um, starting off with teams that have been absolutely dominating. Uh, starting off with the Phoenix Suns, sitting at forty-one and ten. Uh, they did just come off a loss. I believe it was not last night, but the night before to the Hawks, uh, losing 124 to one fifteen. But I mean, they've won nine of their last ten. They hadn't lost a game since January 8th before that. That was to the Heat. They just seem like by far the best team in the regular season so far. I mean, the the duo of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, we thought it was good last year. It's gotten even better this year. DeAndre Ayton, even with him getting the limited amount of touches he's getting, he's still averaging 16 and 10, uh, almost a block a game almost to steal a game which is amazing for a center um this team is just so so good and of course you have the 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 role players like mikhail bridges cameron johnson campaign javel mcgee jay crowder like it's just such a a good cohesive unit that is really difficult to stop yeah yeah i completely agree with you i think this is really a four-man team this is Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Aiton, and Bridges. And outside of that, you have a uh, like just so many glue guys that it's really not even funny. I I, I can't get over the fact of how much I like Landry Shamit, Jay Crowder, Javale McGee has played so well for them all. Pretty much every time I see him on the court, that it continues to blow my mind. I mean, they just have so many guys that can step in and play well for them and continue to play well for them. And anytime you have, I can't say it enough, how much of this rests on Chris Paul's shoulders. I cannot, because I think he really is the entire difference. And whether he's, you know, icing the game with clutch buckets in the fourth or just making the right move or right decision every time he has the basketball in his hands, or even if it's just, dropping a dime or dropping a player like he's in his second year in the league it's such a career renaissance for Chris Paul over these last two or three years he has played phenomenal and it's gotten to the point where to me he is the greatest point guard I've ever seen with my own eyes he's the definition of what is a point guard and this is a kind of effect of a roster that we've or I've only really seen with LeBron James you know, kind of just put him wherever you want and what kind of effect on a roster will he have? Remember where this team was. And granted, they put themselves in a position to kind of be ready to take off anyway, but it is no doubt in my mind that Chris Paul is exactly what they needed to put them over the top. Now, I don't think you or me, either one of us, thought when that when that move happened, this is where the Suns would be. But I'll say maybe we were a little silly for not because of the impacts he had on a team like OKC that was trying to rebuild and he literally willed them to the playoffs. And then here in this, in this Phoenix team that was stuck, you know, are we going to rebuild? I really feel like that's almost where they were at before they made this move. I knew they wanted to keep Booker. It was going to come down to, can we find something that's good enough? Well, here's it's Chris Paul. Let's try, let's try this. And it has worked fantastic. Fantastic. I think this is one of the most complete teams in the league, but I am going to be interested. Last year, I thought they played really well in the playoffs. I'm interested in what I think is a little bit weaker of a Western Conference this year. Can they do it again? I wouldn't say this is weaker. I would say this is stronger. I mean, the Warriors are back. 
Memphis is going insane. Utah is down at the four seed, which is crazy. Um, Jamal Murray is probably going to be back for the playoffs. The Timberwolves are in the playoff hunt somehow um, after what seems like years of uh, drought besides that one fluke year with Jimmy. Um, but, I mean, overall, the, the West is – the West talent is – with how bad the East has been for the past month, they are rising way above the East. I think I, – I don't know why. To me this year it just feels – I perceive this as, as to be less. I mean, I to me, for one, just how bad the Lakers have been is, is a huge knock. And granted, I know it, all that matters, and we know that – they know that all that matters is how they're playing come postseason – but I can't discount how not good they have been with Russell Westbrook. Um, and, and that continues to, I can, I'm still worried about the potential fit in the postseason Cause I, like I said, I saw Russell Westbrook as a Thunder fan for a good long while. And he can be just a straight up headache. Like there is no, no real sugarcoating it. Like, that's what he can be at times. And I love him to death, but man, he needs to do a little bit or, I don't know. I don't know what he needs to do. He just needed to work on shooting and, and taking care of the ball about three years ago. Um, the Clippers, until they are healthy, you know, we don't really know how to feel about them. And then between the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies, they're playing so well, but I, I'm just unsure if when it comes down and everything's on the table, I, I'm really not sold on the Grizzlies. I love what they're doing this year, but with just – it really being John Morant at this point in the season, I worry if you if they're not going to get schemed out. I mean, in seven game series, their teams will throw everything they have at John Morant and make literally anyone else beat them. And it's gonna that's those moments where it's like you know you see these young great players. They it finally feels like, oh man, have I hit a wall? Like I can do everything in my power, but at this point when they're gonna do all this. I can't overcome it, and it takes a lot, and I'm just not sure that this is the year. That, I mean, the Grizzlies have such a bright future, such a bright future, but this year in terms of competing in the Western Conference for, for that NBA championship, I'm not sold on it just yet. I would love to see it. I love John Morant. He is the most exciting player in the league to me right now, but I'm just not sold in terms of, of all season. Oh, no, I'm not saying that they're going to they're gonna do anything in the playoffs, but I'm just saying, like, I just think talent, well, yes. talent wise, the West is definitely better than the East right now. Oh no, I, I would give you that. I definitely would give you that. I just think relative to previous years, this is a little bit weaker of a Western Conference, in my opinion. It oh no, no it's doubt, still better than the East. No doubt, but I'm just saying, like, um, but I mean, the the Suns have been running away with it, but a yeah. team that's behind them that has also been playing phenomenal, the the Golden State Warriors. Ever since Clay came back, he has not missed a step. Yeah. I was thinking he was going to come into it a little slower, um, not be, like, as explosive. He hasn't missed a beat. He's averaging 16, three and a half, three assists, shooting 40 – excuse me. He's shooting 43% from the field, 38% from three, which, granted, that's not Clay numbers, but that's Clay after not playing for, what, 970 days? of real basketball. That's insane. He clay coming back into this team and giving the warriors the opportunity to put Jordan Poole back off the bench is 
genuinely the most scary thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's in in this case right here, you had a team that was already playing really well, was already led by one of the league's best players in Stephen Curry, was already experiencing what is a you know a good season from a guy like Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole. You know, they had people that were stepping up. I think Draymond is kind of getting back to having himself a little bit of a Draymond-esque year. He is hurt right now. But, you know, anytime you could see those flashes, you think, okay, this is what we're used to this Warriors team looking like. The only odd piece out was Clay. He comes back, and like you said, it hasn't been, you know, exactly the Clay. But the, with how well he has just stepped right back into this team, it does kind of make you think, okay, wow, this team is – they mean business. And like you mentioned, this isn't the same team, but I started to see, first of all, some of the best play I've seen all year from a guy like Jonathan Kuminga. I think you have to remember about the fact they have a guy like Andre Guadalo on their roster. I mean, this is a team that I would really not want to be playing in the playoffs, especially with, you know, Clay Thompson getting what, like I said, that season's kind of split in two halves. He's going to get that whole second half to really cement himself and get himself back into this team, back in, back, just back and ready for the playoffs. And I really think this team is ready to make some noise. I think they might be the biggest threat out of the West right now. And they still have not seen anything from a guy like James Wiseman. I don't know what's going on with him, but either way, you have the potential to get add to your roster another guy who you made a top three pick. So, I mean, this is going to be really, really exciting potentially for this Warriors team. And they're already playing great, even with what they have. And getting, getting Clay back, allowed them to like you said put Jordan Poole on the bench and it almost makes you feel like your whole roster got a little better it's like man this our sixth man now is is a monster because you don't have to rely on him to be your Clay Thompson it's like oh yeah we have Clay again uh, just go to the bench and do your keep doing your thing uh, it's a really really good position to be in and I will say that the only thing that worries me a little bit is uh, the play from the big men in, uh, for this team. Um, Kevon Looney has been a fine big man for a long, long time. Um, I'm not sure how much you can continue to really rely on him. And man, if something happened to Draymond Green, they would be serious happened to Draymond Green. They would really potentially be hurt. And that's why I kind of linked them to Miles Turner. I think they have enough of that of the youth and, and, and things like that to potentially be a buyer. They are such a deep team, but it's going to come down to how they kind of evaluate their own team. And they've played so well. I mean, I wouldn't really change much of anything up. And I also have to say, Gary Payton the second has been playing fantastic as well for them. I mean, they just have a lot of guys that could do a lot of interesting things for them and a lot of good defenders and role-playing guys off that bench between him, Damian Lee, Otto Porter Jr. I mean, this team is just – it's almost kind of built Suns-esque. I mean, in the way that the, the Suns kind of bench unit are a bunch of uh, – switchable good defenders guys like that hard nose I mean I think that if it's you know kind of right of me to say this I think the Warriors might have kind of bought into that trend a little bit and realized that's something that they could lean on a little bit more yeah no I'm this Warriors team is very scary I'm I would be terrified if I was any other team besides the Suns because I think the Suns probably match up the best against the Warriors because of the whole switching pretty much everyone on their team can play defense except for like D book, but he's not even terrible. He's like a, he's a little bit worse than a Steph Curry level, but I mean, 
everyone in that starting five can play defense. Yeah. Which is just scary, scary to think about. Very scary. Um, But I think the last team I really want to go over that's been playing like out of out of their mind lately um honestly like for how they for what they have the Denver Nuggets they did just take two losses but Nikola Jokic just putting the team on his back absolutely stellar they've had huge wins they've beat the Bucks they've beat the Nets they've the Clippers are eh. Um, they did just take back-to-back L's against the Timberwolves and Jazz, but the fact that Nikola Jokic basically by himself is carrying this team to a sixth seed right now, if Jamal Murray is able to come back like around mid-April and get time into the seat, time to like get himself ready then the NBA should be very, very scared coming into the playoffs if they're going to be around a five seed. Whoever that four seed is, they they should be very worried. Yeah, I definitely think that um, uh, that would pose a really, really interesting situation. Uh, I think teams have to start considering things like that right now because we all know that Jamal Murray is going to be coming back to this Nuggets team. We all know that, and we've known that for a while. But now when you start to see where you line up in the standings and where you're probably going to end up in the standings by the come end of the year, it starts to feel a little different that, oh, my goodness, Jamal Murray is going to be here. I hope we're not matched up against the Denver Nuggets. But I have been very, very impressed with the way that Nikola Jokic has been able to carry this team. I mean, really, it just it seems like it's the same thing from last year. And, I mean, he is that still that same MVP, MVP player. And if it wasn't for voters' fatigue and some things like that, he'd have a monster case for it this year. I still think he should have a monster case for it with the way that he's played and really carried this team. I mean, uh, outside of Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris, who have all been fine, fine players, there's not much on this team that, in my opinion, really pushes the needle in either direction. I mean, Jeff Green has played very, very well for this team. I have also liked a lot of the minutes that they've gotten from their young guys in Zeke Naji and Bones um, Bones Highland. He's played really, really well out of VCU this year. I'm happy to see him succeeding. But outside of that, it's been nothing really all that crazy. I mean, Compazzo continues to wow me with some of the things he could do on a, on a basketball court. But like I said, outside of that, there's is not much here. It's going to take Jamal Murray. And how much time that he gets to reacclimate himself is going to be a big, big, big part of this in my mind. Because we're, I'm seeing it right now with Clay, and it's why I was so high on this Warriors team, is they're going to have time. You still, like I mentioned, have almost what is going to feel like half of the season to work this guy in before the games really matter. I mean, at this point, you know you're going to be in the postseason if you're the Warriors. So. I mean, it's just all about getting Clay and, and Steph and everybody all acclimated to their the new situation of normality. And for this team, it's going to be a similar kind of a thing. I mean, you're gonna it's going to be a new normal with Jamal Murray because everyone's gotten so used to doing it this particular way for so long. It'll even affect Jokic a little bit. I mean, just in the way that he will won't have to score as much. I think he has had to lean on you know his own personal ability a little bit more this year with it all eyes on him kind of a way. But I think it could be potentially very nice for him 
to get Jamal Murray, you know, his running mate back and they kind of have another go of it. But I, I thought a lot, I thought this team lost a lot when Michael Porter Jr. went down earlier in the year. And I think, you know, with it being him and Jamal Murray, it you even really have to give Jokic some props as to where he has this team. Yeah, no, I, I am so happy with what Jokic has done. Um, I'm really excited to see what this Nuggets team can do in the playoffs once uh, Jokic is back or not when Murray is back. So, I mean, overall, like, I'm, I'm really proud of this Nuggets team, what they've been able to do. Yeah. Um, those are the teams I wanted to go over that are doing good. And now over the one team that's really, really doing bad, and it is because of injuries, but the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Yes, they lost KD. But the fact that they have been playing this bad is just six straight losses, one to the Kings, one to the Lakers, one and one to the Timberwolves. The other three are, are reasonable. They lost to the Nuggets. They lost to the Warriors. They lost to the Suns. I'm not mad about at them about those, but the loss to the Kings and the Timberwolves are especially Wow. This, this team has just spiraled down since KD went down. It's it's crazy to think how much of an impact KD has to where they're at the top of the conference to winning three out of their last seven and on a 16 losing streak. I mean, yeah, you, you said it right there. I mean, I... I... I'm thinking the exact same thing and just how dysfunctional is really the best way that I could say it. This team has looked since it hasn't been KD to lead this team anymore. And like I said, dysfunctional is a good word. I'd also use lost. I feel like they look a little lost out there. Now, for one, you have to understand that to field those three players, the rest of your team is not going to be full of star players. And what good players you do have are guys that took cuts to be there. And so while they are still a good team, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge and, you know, those guys playing well, Bruce Brown, they're, they're good, Joe Harris and all those guys, that's nice. But you need those top three guys to be on the court. And that's really, you know, to top it all off, what is worrying me the most, because like I said, since KD went down, they've looked dysfunctional. They're two and seven since he's gotten injured and things aren't looking much better. And he's still expected to miss another two to four weeks, which doesn't, you know, help them at all. And even Harden, you know, he's dealing with the hamstring and the hand injuries. But I'm really just starting to wonder if they will ever get enough time together to be a championship team. Because like I, I say it all the time, I mean, you can't just throw three, three players together and win a championship. That's just not how it works. They have to be able to work together and play together as a team and figure out just how to succeed that way, especially these guys, guys that are used to being the, you know, the the whole show for their respective teams. I mean, Kyrie had a little taste of that and so did KD, but James Harden was really uninfringed, you know, for many years, except for the little Chris Paul experiment. But either way, I'm just unsure that the, these star players are going to be able to figure out some sort of a cohesive product if they share the court together so infrequently, I mean, Kyrie is still only playing road games. Harden is missing time and Katie's out with injury. So, I mean, when is it going to happen? It's going to have to happen soon because we got so little of it last year. And now this year it's so little of it again. I mean, what, which one is it going to be? 
I mean, because you, you're going to have to figure this out at some point because, granted, if it was ever going to be a team that was just so talented they could figure it out, it would probably be this one. But I'm starting to believe that it's not going to matter if you don't figure out at least a little bit of how to play together. And I might be selling it way too short. You know, like they practice all the time together. They're always together, things like that. But still, being on the court together is just something different. And I begin to start to be really worried. And I, I'm, they had some sort of a resolution to the Kyrie situation. Um, but I think it was a cop-out for a team that was kind of starting to head down into a not-so-enviable position. Um, and things have only gotten worse since then. And so I, I'm really worried about this Nets team. Now, granted, KD will probably come back and we'll probably all be reminded as to why we were so high on them in the beginning. But right now, they, this is definitely the low, the lowest point, hopefully for the Nets, that they have this season. But they are the biggest loser of, as of this podcast right now. Uh, yeah, I I think they'll, fig- they'll figure it out eventually. But if they don't, and depending on KD's return time, they might not even make the playoffs. Real and if they do, it will be a play-in. Yeah. Granted, they'll win the play-in definitely, uh, as long as KD is fine. But that's just – if you're a Nets fan, that's that's scary to think about because you have three top 20 players on your team and have the possibility of not making the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's not a great position for that for them to be in. I can tell you that much. Um, but now the last thing, uh, end on a happy note. Uh, the last thing before we end off here today, the NBA All Star rosters have been announced. Um, I don't think there are that many snubs. Um, not that I really can think of. Uh, of course, the the team captains Durant, LeBron. I mean the two biggest names in basketball besides Steph Curry and Giannis. Um, but the East starters, we have KD, Giannis, Embiid, Trey Young, and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, the West starters, we have LeBron, Jokic, Andrew Wiggins, which is the most surprising one out of this uh, starting five for each team. Uh, Steph Curry and John ja Morant. Uh, the East reserves, we have Jimmy Butler, Darius Garland, James Harden, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton, JT, and Fred Van Vliet. And the West Pool, we have D-Book, Luca, Rudy Gobert, Draymond, Donovan Mitchell, CP3, and Cat. Um, some really good names. The only name I would have liked to see in the East, just because I'm a Boston fan, is, is Jalen Brown. Um, I'd like to see him there over Tatum, but because... Tatum plays the forward and Brown plays the point guard or the guard role. Jalen Brown was sadly United wouldn't make it. I think he deserved it over Tatum, but it's just how the roles work sadly in the all-star game, which I think is very dumb. I, 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 yeah, I, I felt a similar kind of a way. I felt like there was no, the only snub that I, I would really kind of say it's hard for me to look at it and say that Fred Van Bleet wasn't really deserving but LaMelo Ball is a name that I you know for excitement reasons alone I was kind of surprised it wasn't on that roster now like I said Fred Van, Fred Van Bleet is as deserving as anyone but at the point in time you know I kind of always feel like that you know they'll somehow you know these 
Giants will work it in. So that's the most exciting thing as possible. But I can definitely Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I was interested to hear you say that you would have rather see, seen Brown because that was, you know, how I, you knew that was probably going to be how I felt. I mean, I love both of those guys, but Brown is my guy. He has played fantastic this season. But another instance of that, I would have probably taken Drew Holiday over over Chris Middleton. I feel like they've both kind of been interchangeable in, in different ways. Middleton's been a little bit better of a scorer. I had to make sure I checked the stats to make sure my eyes weren't lying to me from what I've been watching on, on the games. But I, I would still have taken Holiday. He's had a more more efficient season. The scoring is only lower by like a point and a half. And he does he does more as a facilitator and a ball handler on that roster. But Middleton is still, you know, obviously deserving. I don't think you could have gone wrong similarly between either one of those guys. But the one weird thing is with how guard heavy pretty much that that, you know, Eastern Conference is, I mean, on your bench, on your bench for the Eastern Conference, you only have even a couple guys that are really forwards. And that's Jimmy Butler, Tatum, Middleton that are, you know, playing for you that are not big men. And I, I felt like instead of Garland, maybe, who is another guy who's very deserving, that's why it's always so hard. I mean, it's going to be a hard case for you to make against any one of these guys that became an all-star based off of what they've done this season to not then be that all-star. But to me, I think Jarrett Allen maybe could have been a right call. So no real snubs other than maybe LaMelo Ball. But maybe a couple instances where we could have switched some representation from some teams just to better kind of qualify. Because I just think Jared Allen has played so freaking well. And it has been on the back of both him and Garland as to him, Garland and Mobley, who have gotten the Cavs into this position that they're in playing so well. But maybe that could have been another possibility. Overall, though, the only thing that's really weird about this is that Andrew Wiggins starting in the Western Conference that should have 100 percent been. I mean, no matter how you wanted to slice it, it should have either been uh, Devin Booker, one of Chris Paul or Devin Booker, probably should have been starting for the West, being that they're out to the number one record. But if not them, I mean, you still are looking at Luka Doncic sitting there on the bench. So, I mean, there were definitely options and potential different ways that you could have gone. But um, either way, I think this is a pretty good list. And still, to me, the only weird part is Wiggins. I I don't think that's going to get – I don't think that'll – kind of really set in he's played well this year but just he's almost kind of feels like he's turned into a meme at this point with his how his career has gone that it's it feels just very 2k it's only really the only thing I could say about it, it feels very 2k yeah no it definitely does feel 2k-ish I mean overall like I'm not upset with any of the all-star uh rosters um I think the only ones that really had people up in arms is Wiggins being a a starter, but he has had a, a really good bounce back year. Um, I'm happy to see that he's finally got back into a stride of what he was supposed to be, and it's it's really nice to see. Um, I maybe the only other one that really got people up in the air is Draymond, but you can pretty much always circle Draymond in to be there, um, just because it, it's his name. It's Draymond Green. Yeah, Draymond is uh, – I, I like Draymond as a player. I have a lot of respect for him. But still to this day, I think it's probably between Draymond and I don't think there's any other player. I mean, you look at kind of a routine play, and I still feel like people freak out way more than they probably should. Guy will get a rebound, dribble down the court, and make a nice pass. 
And the next time he'll try to do the same thing. He gets his pocket picked and, and just kind of – or an offensive foul or, or something just uh, – I don't know. I like Draymond. I have not liked the recognition as one of the best players in the league that he seems to get since the Warriors dynasty cropped up. He's a great role player, great role player. Any team would love to have a Draymond. But those guys usually don't make all-star teams, kind of like the Kyle, Kyle Korver situation when he was on that Hawks team. Those guys just, I mean, usually don't. But Draymond is a hell of a player. He's, he's sustained his career really well. But to be injured and still to be here is, is a little weird. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but, I mean, overall, like, I'm, I'm not upset about it. Oh, no. Could be- yeah, there's nothing to, like you said, to – like some people are getting up in arms about it. I don't, I don't think there's anything like that on this all-star team. No, but um, I think that is going to wrap us up for uh, this, this two week recap. Uh, probably gonna be every two weeks for the NBA, just because not enough happens in a week for us to just sit down and talk about it for an hour. Um, but I hope you all enjoyed. Uh, I have of course been your host, Jason Michener, doing alongside Ian Hatcher. We'll see y'all next time.